0: Hey folks, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning into Front Row Knowles and thanks to the Champions Club and Seminole Boosters for their longtime support of this podcast. By now you've seen or heard about the Boosters One Tribe campaign, which is annual membership to Seminole Boosters that helps fund the most vital needs of the FSU Athletics program, including scholarships, academic support, and athletic training. I'll put this as simply as I can. If you're listening to this podcast, you care about FSU Athletics and should be a booster. Many of you already are. Thank you. And I encourage you, if you're able, to increase your support. If you're not a member, you can join for as little as 70 bucks a year. Just go to boosters.fsu.edu to learn more. And now sit back, keep your seat, keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle. Well, you know the drill. Enjoy the show. Here's
1: Front Row Knowles.
0: Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. This is Front Row Knowles. Keith, how are you, sir? I am doing well. I'm doing well, and I am enjoying the weather.
2: After a little bit of cold, it finally feels a little bit like spring, at least in Tallahassee.
0: The best six weeks in Tallahassee are these three weeks in March and the three weeks like, I don't know, October 20th, somewhere late October, early November. I I would agree. I would concur. I, I think it's called San Diego. It's just the view is <laughs> a little bit different. <laughs> anyway, spring has sprung, uh, maybe not according to the calendar, but according to football's calendar, because spring practice is underway. And uh, Coach Norvell and Coach Dillingham and a few players met the media after the first practice. Takeaways, one practice in, Keith, and, and we will have a chance to, to view practice as spring, spring football moves forward. Well, I, I think just the fact that they can get
2: started uh, is a is a hurdle that they've overcome. Yeah. Um, I read somewhere where uh, another university, maybe Ohio State, has had to suspend uh, and, and shut everything down for a week uh, because of a little bit of a slight uptick in testing uh, fortunately, and hopefully it continues FSU doesn't have to do that, and I think the kids you know as much as Former players will tell you we don't really enjoy spring practice because it's it's, it's a really a grind. With everything that's been going on, I think uh, the mindset's probably they're just happy to be able to get out there and, and run around and be with their teammates.
0: I had three takeaways from listening to the conversation with the media yesterday, and there were more, and we'll get them with Bob. One, and this is no surprise, but Kenny Dillingham said the quarterback battle will go all the way up until – the week of the season, you know, just before the opener. I mean, barring that you're returning Tom Brady or the reigning Heisman winner, that's always going to be the answer in spring. I mean, if you have an entrenched starter, maybe not, but if you don't, they're always going to play it out through the fall. Two, Jordan Travis talked about the family atmosphere and it was kind of lumped into an answer about general buy-in and commitment. And he basically said, this is the best he's experienced in college period, which includes Louisville and obviously his time at FSU. And then three, and this one's hard to process until you stop and think about it, but most of these players have not had the same coaching staff or position coach in for back-to-back years, really in their careers, a lot of them, or the yep, same yep. system, and, and that was talked about. So that was, that's kind of three high-level takeaways from the first media session that I gleaned. You know, if you, if you take a look back at what Coach
2: Norvell and his staff had to overcome last year, just begin because of the first year, because of the pandemic – You know, trying and you don't like talking about this, but trying to find out who's with you and who's not, and those that are not, you know, finding the uh, correct way to either get them on board or get them out of the system. Uh, And that was a tedious and long process. I can see where Jordan is now saying once they got back from the break and started uh, in January, you know, these are the guys that you're going to be with, both in terms of your teammates as well as your coaching staff so uh, let's buy in, let's pay attention, and let's go forward, um, and I, I'm glad to hear him, and I was glad to hear him say that.
0: Yeah, and then we're, again, I mentioned that that some of practice is going to be open, and uh, good for Florida State for being able to accommodate that in the middle of the COVID environment, that there will be some opportunities for media to, to see practice and draw their own conclusions. Mike Norvell has indicated since he got to Florida State that uh, that's that's who he is. He wants to have open practices. Just COVID got in the way in the last year. So, uh, and there's always been great accessibility with he and his staff and his players. And I think we'll, we'll continue to see that the uh, we've discussed this Keith, but, but one of the things about spring, first of all, they've already completed one third as many practices as they got in all last spring. So, I mean, we're exactly away from there ahead of last year we're and making progress. Yeah, we're making progress, but, It it allows you to just really hone in on fundamentals and understanding concepts and the system because you're not having a game plan for an opponent. This is all about let's get you better. Let's get your technique better. We can tinker. We can say, hey, how do you look in the slot compared to outside? Or maybe we should try you here. Maybe we should move you to guard. Like those kind of things can happen right now. Another thing that that the casual fan may not uh, pick
2: up on, but as soon as I say it, I hope they'll, they'll understand is while in the fall you're, you're game planning, you're also trying to find your starters. And so you don't have the freedom, as you've pointed out, to experiment much with you know moving someone from a wide out to a slot, moving someone from a safety to a, 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 a you know the, the third corner or the inside corner uh, when you go five DBs. Those types of things are very, very limited in the fall, but they're much more uh, available to you in the spring, so you don't have that pressure as well. Um, it's it's you know it, it, again going back to the old ways and the old, old old time sayings. It's a grind. It's not a lot of fun, but it's an opportunity to really find out about your football team.
0: Now, granted, Florida State chooses who's going to meet the media. Not everybody on the roster might be uh, of the same mindset, but it appears to me and and. I'm not the guy that's going to put on the pads and go out there. It, it seems like "grind" is not the word, though. That they're—it's more like they're embracing this right now.
2: Now, again, well, well and that's my point. That's yeah. that's a that's a change, and that's probably a direct product of a, or byproduct of the pandemic. And and maybe that makes for a much more productive
0: spring because of that mindset. No question. Certainly we've all had to ask the question or, or, or reflect on let's appreciate what we have because when it's taken away, we figure out we miss it. And ironically, as we have this conversation and we're going to move it to basketball in our next segment, it was literally a year ago, a year and a day and ago when the, when the sports world shut down and you were there in, in uh, Greensboro. And just so folks know what's coming up on the show. First of all, Sidar Calhoun is going to join us next segment. The men's basketball team is in Greensboro for the ACC tournament. So we'll talk hoops most specifically in that segment, then Bob Ferranti from uh, the Osceola our Osceola Insider will join us, and we'll really focus on football with Bob. But, but Keith, just as a as a segue here, I mean, you were there a year ago. It still seems surreal in some respects. It feels like yesterday, in other respects, it feels like a decade ago. Um, but, but we did, you know, we know what it was like to not have a conference tournament and an NCAA tournament, and now the thought of being able to play them, I think we're all excited about that.
2: Very much so, and I was glad to see the ACC. Uh, you know, the people, one of the groups that we didn't talk about much last year at this time are the people of Greensboro that put on the tournament, the, the volunteers, the, the uh, folks that uh, spend time organizing. And I was glad to see that the ACC was able to, you know, kind of push everything back a year and go back to Greensboro. And I know some of the ACC uh, teams have not been able to play in, in a coliseum or a, an arena or a center. With with fans in, so you've got some of the ACC teams that are playing in front of a crowd for the first time. Again, a reduced crowd, not a lot of folks there, but you know, there's just a lot of positive things coming out of that. Now, Florida State has to play well. Uh, They're still reeling from that loss to Notre Dame, and we'll talk more about that. But um, it's a great opportunity, and I agree with you. Whether it's spring practice or basketball, or or the spring uh, games, you know, with meat and the baseball team and tennis and I mean, it's just good to be back competing and being able to do it in a
0: semi-routine kind of way. So I'm going to tell you the good and the bad here, Keith. The way the, the way the bracket works, obviously folks know this. Florida State will play tomorrow night at 6.30, and they'll get the winner of the Duke-Louisville game. So the upside is whoever Florida State plays will have more tired legs. And if it's Duke, they will have played two games already. And so you'd think Florida State's depth and rotation would lend a hand. Now, the downside is this, because it's a tournament and there's games going on since Tuesday, Florida State has gotten 30 minutes inside the Coliseum to shoot so far. They got 30 minutes today before the game started, and they will get a little bit more time than usual before the Thursday evening game because they're the 630 game and there's not a game immediately preceding. So instead of 20 minutes, they can get out there an hour early. So I bring that up in light of Florida State's struggles shooting the basketball away from home. It's not like they've been there since Tuesday and have had 10 hours in the Coliseum. They really haven't gotten a lot of time there.
2: Coach Hamilton likes to talk about, you know, the the court is 94 feet long and the basket is 10 feet high and the free throw line is 15 feet away, regardless of where you're playing. So everything else shouldn't matter. Well, it does matter. Sight lines, uh, just the feel of a place, Uh, So, yes, good news is several of these kids that are going to play a prominent role uh, were there last year. Uh, Some of the older folks, uh, one or two of them, uh, you know, are familiar with different arenas around the country. They played, what, seven games away from home this season, I think. Um, So maybe there's a little bit of a a positive there with a carryover. But sight lines and the feel of the arena are an issue, and uh, that is a downside.
0: Well, compounded by the fact that normally when you play a neutral site game, you're facing a team that also hasn't been in the gym. But in this case, whether it's Louisville or Duke, they will have already played a game and had more time shooting at the same basket. So factor that in however you want. I'm not trying to hit the panic button. I think more than that, and I'll talk about this with Sadar Calhoun, uh, who I caught up with earlier today, and KJ had another obligation. So you'll hear that interview uh, that, that I was able to do with uh, Sadar coming up he talked about defense and that's what he's worked on the most since he's got here is getting better at defense. And the reality is, and you know, it Keith defense can show up every night, even if the shots aren't falling defense is effort. And that was, we we talk about the missed shots at Notre Dame, but it seemed like a lack of focus or commitment at the start of the game. Maybe it had to do with the way Notre Dame was playing and FSU hadn't gone to a small lineup yet. It was better in the second half, my sense is you won't see that this time around it was, it was a little bit of a lesson and they're, they're going to be more focused and driven when they start. We've talked about this uh, particularly with a young ball club and and younger
2: kids that are playing considerable minutes. You can tell folk things, but it's much better for them to experience it. And that's a lesson hopefully that is learned. The other thing that's added to it is you're now in tournament play and these kids, uh, they understand it's, it's win or go home. Now, granted, Florida State is a shoe-in, a lock for the NCAA. They could, they could lay an egg tomorrow night and still get into the tournament, and it would affect their seating possibly. But at the same time, it's now tournament play. So this is your last game unless you win. And that changes the mindset a little bit as well.
0: No question. So two things, Keith. Uh, one, a recent talking point of mine. The other one, a longstanding talking point. For all the years I've railed that the ACC tournament shouldn't be in Greensboro. I'm okay with it being this year. It was supposed to be there last year. They just gave it to them this year and moved everybody down the line. Out of curiosity, I did look it up and next year it goes back to Brooklyn. Uh, In 23, it's back in Greensboro. And then in 24, it's in DC. So that's where the ACC men's tournament is for the next uh, few years. The other talking point, and I'm knocking on everything in front of me, seven days, consecutive of negative COVID tests for everybody. That's what the NCA requires. So we are in the window right now, not just for Florida State, but basically anybody that if you have to shut it down, uh, they may be looking into your conference to find a, a suitable replacement to go to the NCAA tournament for you. It's
2: always in the back of
0: your mind. I
2: think uh, I agree with you. You can't be paranoid about it, but you got to be very aware of it. And uh, now comes the time when it becomes of its most uh, importance. So, yeah, that's uh, – that's, uh,
0: it's rattling around back there in the back. Hit a couple of pieces of wood for me, please. Yeah, I hate to be the half-empty guy on that. I just wanted to point it out again. Anyway, uh, we, we will talk uh, football. We'll get to basketball. Baseball – and I heard the seminal Headlines guys talking about this, Keith. I don't know if you've seen Florida State play this year. It, it is a problem, not just for FSU. There's too many strikeouts. It's not the same game that it was. And I don't watch a lot of Major League Baseball now, but I did sit through the Pitt series and watch FSU strike out about every other at-bat and Pitt struck out about every other at-bat too. It's a different game right now. And I I do agree with what Jeff and Iron Corey were talking about. You're going to have to find some solutions because if this is the product, it's not a way to grow the game.
2: You know, you and I were talking off air uh,
0: about how the
2: women's game softball has changed. And they used to be very, very uh, low scoring, they used to be very quick games. They've improved their hitting. And now you do get into to situations where, you know, you can have eight, six final versus two to one. I don't know what the solution is because if you're striking out, you're not making contact. So we can't talk about the ball or the composition of the bat, that type of thing. I just wonder if the game hasn't, you know, evolved and gone up and down like we've seen happen with football Uh, where these young kids in high school are learning to pitch better. And by the time they get to college, uh, they're ahead
0: of the batters, way ahead of the batters. And uh, I don't know what that solution is. Well, that's definitely part of it. Plus, a lot of guys came back for another year because the draft was limited, so you got more seasoned pitchers. I don't know. It's almost – and this would be not – it wouldn't start at the college level. It's almost at the major league level. And the way the NFL protects quarterbacks and offenses and, you know, the – the infractions are skewed you know in favor of the offense or against the defense and you hate that as a former defensive guy it's almost like you have to consider some tweaks there to to get the game a little more offensive instead of being offensive which is what it feels like right now when you try to watch it anyway I don't want to dive deep on baseball we're three series in typically when the weather warms up Florida State's bats get going a little bit more so so we'll see how that plays out but that's what it looks like a few weeks in Let's do this, Keith. Let's take a break. We'll come back. Uh, I'll have this uh, conversation with Sadar Calhoun, who we've all seen. Uh, anything before we go to break, Keith, What what's impressed you about watching Sidar this year? Attitude. He works hard. And, and as uh, you
2: alluded, um, he knows he needed to work on his defense. So he's done that. Uh, by all accounts, he is a true team player. Uh, and uh, I applaud him for that. Because sometimes, whether you're a highly ranked kid or not, you come in and you get a little bit of an attitude and you're used to being the, the show and being the offensive guy and you're asked to do things that you're not normally tasked with doing it could create an attitude problem but that apparently has not even been a thought process with him
0: not at all not at all and we will talk about that uh, in that interview coming up again I, I recorded that earlier today it was based on florida state's practice schedule keith was tied up at the moment so it'll be uh Siddhar and uh, Siddhar and me, you're tr- yours truly. When we come back, but then after that, it'll be uh, Bob Ferranti or Osceola insider, as Keith returns. So stay with us on Front Row Knowles.
1: Ronro Knowles on 979 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. <laughs>
0: Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom Block back with you. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we come your way each and every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. ACC Tournament Week, hard to believe it was a year ago at this time when the sports world began to shut down. Florida State literally on the court in Greensboro and then couldn't play their game against Clemson. Well, they're going to get a chance to get back at it tomorrow against the winner of a game starting momentarily, the Duke-Louisville game. And uh, right now we're pleased to be joined by Sadar Calhoun, who obviously is with the team and, and in Greensboro. How are you, Sadar?
3: I'm doing good, sir. Um, I'm glad to be on here. Let's go, Knoll's
0: Nation. <laughs> hey, uh, well, let's start. The, you know, let's let's go bigger picture first, and then we'll focus on the on the opportunities that that await this team. Uh, you say, Knoll Nation, how's this experience been for you? Your whole first year at Florida State?
3: i been. It's been really exciting. I mean, I honestly couldn't uh, pick a better program than FSU. Like the culture here is so like a. Uh, it's so overwhelming. I mean, the people from, like, the stores you go to, like Publix, Greenwise, know your name. They're always cheering and giving you support. Um, just the atmosphere of, like, our fans and um, the family chemistry we have here is very family-orientated here. And I'm just blessed to be here.
0: Well, it's been fun to watch you as you've matured and developed already just in the short time you've been in Tallahassee. You're from Virginia uh, originally. Uh, I'm curious the connection. I was just reading your bio that I guess you were at a game where Dwayne Bacon hit a game winner in Charlottesville. Is that what connected you to Florida state that moment, or was there, are there other connections there?
3: Uh, that really, like, I never heard of Florida state cause I was kind of younger at the time and I didn't know much schools in the Florida area, but when they came to play, uh, when they came down to uh, play UVA, I was just like uh mind blown. kind of speechless watching them play. there all over the place. They're pretty loud. And I could hear them from my seats, and my seats weren't court-sized seats. I was kind of in the rafters a little bit, and I could just hear them screaming for each other. And they just won a big game in the John Paul Arena. That's a hard place to win at.
0: So two things there: you're saying, you know, from a distance standpoint, really removed from the court, you could tell just watching them play. You could see a family atmosphere that was different than maybe when you watch other teams play? 100%. 100%. Now, the rest of that story, did, did Dennis Gates, you had conversation with Dennis Gates yeah. at that game. So so share that, and then we'll talk a little bit about the success he's having. But but how did that go? And is is, is that I, I one? I guess an offer didn't come at that point, but that started yeah. a
3: relationship? Um, you know me, you know I'm like an outgoing person. So, like, me and my teammates kind of walked down after the game. And uh, we also had an old teammate who played for UVA, Mamadi Diakite. And we were waiting for Mamadi and stuff. You know me, me being Sadar, I decided to talk to Coach Gates. And uh, I was being funny at the time. I was like, hey, I can be the next Dwayne Bacon, jokingly. And then he said, like, what's your name, young fella? And I said, uh, Sadar Calhoun, sir. And he was like, I remember the name Calhoun. And um, a couple years later, go by, we reunite, and he offered me a scholarship.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Did you
3: accept on the spot? Uh, it Two months. He offered me in July, uh, in August, September, I committed this this isn't uh,
0: you know Cleveland State Viking uh, front row Cleveland State, but as in light of you mentioned, Dennis Gates, he's been there two years. I'm sure you're aware on the college basketball scene that yeah. they punched their ticket last night. That's pretty remarkable what he's done there, isn't it?
3: Yeah, that is dope, Coach Gates. I'm really proud of him.
0: Yeah, everybody is to see that success. All right, well, let's bring it back to to you and Florida State. So, growing up in Virginia, I mean, I hear these stories about people who grow up in North Carolina. And, uh, you know, the Friday, the quarterfinal Friday, and this maybe predates you a little bit, but basically in school, they weren't teaching school. They were watching the ACC tournament. How big a deal was the ACC tournament where you grew up and, and for you to get a chance to, to play in it tomorrow? How big a deal is that? Uh, it's really exciting.
3: It's kind of overwhelming now that you kind of mentioned it because, like, um, during this time period, some teachers will put on the game on the, the big screens, like you said. And just to uh, be a hometown kid and see some of the – Kids that went to my elementary school get to see me play. I mean, obviously they won't because of coronavirus stuffs at home and stuff. But to see them still watch me play with the Seminoles, that's really exciting. It means a lot.
0: As we talk, we don't know who Florida State will play tomorrow. uh, The winner of a a game that's about to tip off here is just underway between Duke and Louisville. Uh, But but that aside, because I know there's going to be a scouting report ready to go, whichever way that goes, what things have you guys worked on Uh, this week leading up in light of a tough loss to end the regular season. And obviously there's always room for improvement. So what has the focus been since Saturday to this moment?
3: Uh, The main focus is like, you know, we're really skilled. We have talented players, but you know, the teams who come out of this thing alive and on top are the most connected teams and we're already connected, but you can always make um, more room for growth in those areas. Like um, spending time with other teammates that you don't always spend time with shoot with other teammates. We're just, trying to build that bond, unbreakable bond. So like, say for example, if we get adversity tomorrow, we're going to bounce back and we're just going to, we're going to come out victorious because we're going to be the most well connected team out there.
0: How much does not getting the win last game out and getting that regular season title, how much does that sting? Has that been a, a, a talking point this week or is it just literally turn the page and let's get better?
3: Uh, it stung uh, that day. Uh, Watch film. It, that's probably the hardest thing is watching film on yourself and watching your mistakes. But that's the biggest growth you can do, you know, when you watch your own mistakes and you own up to it and and uh, observe it and learn from it. That's the best thing. And I feel like um, uh, Thursday night is going to be like a turning point for us where we get better because every time uh, we lose and the next day, next game that comes up, we do really good. And I feel like this is one of those games where it's going to be a statement game.
0: We're talking with Siddharth Calhoun, his first year at Florida State, uh, playing about 15 minutes per game and and shooting 43% from the three-point line. You know, a lot's talked about when, when people discuss Florida State and the way Coach Hamm uses his bench. So I'll ask you, and I don't have your numbers from junior college in front of me, but I'm sure you were a star and had the green light whenever you wanted, played a lot of minutes, scored a lot more points you know, now you're in a role where you're, your energy, you're a spark you hit, you can hit. I mean, you hit the biggest shot against Virginia, ironically, in that game at the Tucker Center when it was getting close, but how much of an adjustment was that for you to, to say, Hey, you know, even though I could shoot this, that's not the play right here. Let's work the ball, run the offense and, and we'll get a better shot. This possession.
3: Um, honestly, believe it or not, you know, I had the green light at junior college, but I kind of like this role better here at Florida state. It's, um, getting me ready for the next level, um, it's, it's not a humbling experience because I'm with a, a family. They have my back. Um, and it's really exciting to see everyone, you know, um, flourish. And, uh, and I just think it's great. You know, I get to observe. I watch from guys like MJ Walker, Anthony Polite, who have been in this program for a long time. And uh, playing behind them, I can not ask for two better vets to learn from.
0: What have you learned from Coach Han? Not specific to basketball necessarily, but just in general. I mean, he's a guy, he's getting his due nationally now. People are appreciating and recognizing what he's done, not just at Florida State, but the longevity of his career. He's been a pioneer almost every step of the way in his career.
3: What kind of life lessons do you pick up from Coach Ham? Uh, there's so many things you could kind of bounce around with him, but one of the main things Coach Ham is loves is like he loves academic success. Um I feel like that's one of the things that he cherishes the most, and he likes uh, little things like that. Um, when he had found out I won, um, well, well, was all ACC academic, he almost shed a tear and was happy for me because he knew that um, the process to get here was kind of hard dealing with those things. And so he was so excited. Uh, another thing about Coach Hammond, he's also like a a very like given person. He knows, like, if someone's not um doing well, he'll give them like a talk of motivation. You know, some coaches may just if they see you down, they just keep harping on you, but he's the total opposite. He'll he'll give you his two cent of like good advice and what you need. And that kind of makes you want to play for him, and go harder for him.
0: Yeah, he's done quite the job at at Florida State. So so bring it back and I'll wrap this up here momentarily, uh you know, you said you think tomorrow's an opportunity for a statement game. Uh th- this team for the success it's had this year, the The struggles uh, there's been struggles away from home, particularly shooting the basketball uh mm-hmm. how do you combat that uh is it even something that that you really focus on uh, I mean or is focus related to it? I mean obviously you're more comfortable when you're in your home gym, but how do you get that to translate
3: now in greensboro um, I think one of the main things is that we're playing with the targets on our back because um we're really we've made a name in our um in the basketball world when people play us. It's their Super Bowl, and sometimes, you know, we may get a little uh, comfort, a lack But I think the main thing for this tournament is because it's in a neutral site. We treat every uh, atmosphere like it's our place. So when shots aren't falling, maybe they're not falling tomorrow, we're always going to have the best effort on defense. And I feel like I've always um, been a guy that stands on uh, defense wins games. I think that's going to get us through all these games that's going on. in yeah, Greensboro.
0: This is last thing, really bigger picture here for you. But, you know, what have you been working on individually in terms of, you know, from if you look back to when you arrived in Tallahassee to what you to continue to work on now uh, outside of the team structure or practice, where is it that you are really determined and
3: focused on getting better? Uh, I would have to say, like, guard those smaller quick guards. Um, you know, I'm a guy – I'm a big guy like myself. And I, I love defense. Um, if you ever watch me play, when I guard the ball, I kind of give like a 100% effort. And that's just one thing I'm going to just stick to, you know. Um, i not going to try to be uh, the Allen Iverson out there crossing everybody up. That's not my role. And I just feel like I'm going to just keep harping on defense for my team here.
0: Well, in the defense, even when the shots aren't falling, if you bring it on the defensive end, you know, you can make up for that. Dar Calhoun, congratulations on your on your first year at Florida State. Have fun this weekend playing in the ACC tournament. I appreciate you, Mr. Block. <laughs> Mr. Block, man, how old am I? He joined us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, and sharing your future together. We'll step aside, come back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. Go, go.
1: Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS.
0: Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Time to reopen the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency ensuring your future together. Our Osceola insider Bob Ferrante joins us as always. Hey, Bob, how are you? doing well how are you guys doing well doing well we teased the fact that we would concentrate on football in our conversations with you because we've talked some basketball already and and obviously with sadar one thing keith and i didn't talk about that i brought up with calhoun that, that you haven't heard at this point but but his his offer to come to florida state and his first relationship was dennis gates so in light of the fact that coach gates and Cleveland State punched a ticket to the NCAA tournament last night. I think we need to tip, to tip our cap. Keith, that might be some FRN juju. We had him on the show maybe a year ago. or t- No, nah, I guess it was two years ago. It was before he went to Cleveland State, and, and lo and behold, he's in. Uh, what
2: he's done there has been remarkable, if I'm not mistaken. He's the conference coach of the year as well, is he not?
0: He's. He might – you know, behind the scenes be packing bags for the next offer right now. Now he couldn't say that publicly, but he's had that kind of turnaround there. And Bob's shaking his head. I mean, you know, I guess for me, the, the, uh, how quickly he turned it around. It's not that coaches can't turn things around in three, four five years, but in two years he went from guys not even showing up in his first meeting to now he's got them in the, in the dance. That's something.
4: Yeah, there was a good story on him. Uh, I believe on cleveland.com, his first year was was predictably shaky as you're kind of building the program. But I think his team GPA is 3.3. That will will show you who he coached under and, and that he's kind of built it the Leonard Hamilton way. And yeah, I mean, the, the team's won the Horizon League title, going to be in the big dance. And um, I, I have to imagine he stays really in close contact with the Florida State staff. And they're kind of monitoring what he's doing there too.
0: We'll see if the committee has any fun and and puts uh, FSU in the same bracket with Cleveland state, right. When it all comes out. All right, let's talk some football, Bob impressions from uh, not from the first practice, because you couldn't see it yet though. Practice will be open for media to view on Thursday and Friday this week, Uh, but just, you know, the comments from the coaches, it was Norvell and Dillingham and then a handful of players that uh, spoke with the media.
4: I think the, the big storylines are obviously quarterback and, and Coach Norvell has has four really good ones and, and four guys with starting experience. You know, all eyes are on Mackenzie Milton and, and that knee and, and how well he he adjusts and acclimates to this offense, this scheme, uh, builds chemistry with receivers and tight ends and running backs. Um, yeah, I mean, look, we're, we're if, if the Florida State starter against Notre Dame is anybody but Mackenzie Milton in the end, we'll be stunned but the goal of spring is to develop everybody on the roster and get everybody up to speed. So that's, that's gotta be number one. I I think the big other takeaway is, is a tough one and intangible, but if you saw on social media, the, the squat party that they had on Friday, just the raw emotion of guys um, not just excited that winter conditioning and strength and conditioning is over. It's, it's the progress and the camaraderie that they had together, encouraging each other the strength gains are, are pretty impressive uh, coach Norvell and a lot of guys um, mentioning Darius Washington as one example, a guy who's battled off season surgeries and just hasn't been in strength and conditioning the past couple of years. So a guy like Darius Washington to have a, a full healthy so far off season where he's kind of been able to make that kind of progress and build strength. So I, I think those are kind of the big early takeaways, quarterbacks, And then you are seeing strength and conditioning is is kind of shaping the culture of this program moving forward.
2: Um, Tom and I didn't talk about this earlier, um, and I may be mistaken, but do we know anything about the decision to go from morning practices to afternoon practices and what went into that?
4: You know, it's a good question. Um, it, it sounds like Coach Norvell likes the afternoon practices in the spring. I don't know moving forward into the fall what his plans are. Um, obviously, there's some juggling there with, uh, with with class schedules, a lot of those being online these days. So it, it will be interesting to see what he does moving forward, but it just seems uh, this is something that he's comfortable with right now.
0: I feel like, and I could be Especially at my age, recalling incorrectly, but I, when he first arrived, I, I think the answer is mornings in the fall, and he likes afternoons in the spring. And then we got all sidetracked with COVID, and I don't remember the rationale behind. I know the rationale for mornings in general is guys get to bed, they get their hard work in, then they get their are focused for school. I don't I don't recall the reason to go back to afternoons in the spring. So that that's clear as mud. So I'm glad I could waste everybody's time with that lack of insight. <laughs> bob have you can you sense if milton is as good as advertised from a leadership standpoint or is it too early to tell in that vein
4: you know i think there's there's an answer of what we've heard and and there's an answer of what we'll see on thursday and friday when practices are truly open to the media and obviously we're, we're happy to have that chance to watch from uh from the concourse at Hauser Stadium um, at, at a safe distance, but you know, from everything that, that we've heard, um, you know, from the staff, from from the UCF guys, Mackenzie Milton is is an incredible leader, um, and and not just because of his story, not just because of how hard he's worked to get back. Um, I, I think I think that alone will will bring guys to the table and, and say, "Wow, you know, this this guy fights because he loves." Football. He wants to be around football players. Um, you know, we've we talked to people who say, yes, he wants to go to the NFL, but he wants to be a coach one day. And I think that's also remarkable in that you see those leadership qualities as a player, but now he's he's gotten to see, um, you know, the Scott Frost qualities, the Josh Heupel qualities, now the the Mike Norvell qualities with with the coaching staff. So I think it's it's totally legitimate. It's not something that, that you can fake what, what he's doing. It is just remarkable. So if, if he can do this and just, just bring, elevate the the quality of play, the learning, just share some stories about, you know, what to do pre-snap with quarterbacks. I think that's going to go a long way, you know, for these younger quarterbacks down the road.
2: Any, all the outward appearance is that quarterback room is very tight, even though, there's four of them in there that have starting experience. Can that hold, can that continue? I mean, that would be a remarkable testament to those guys as well, wouldn't it?
4: It it would be. And I think there's, there's two ways to look at it. So I I guess I'll straddle the fence on, on this, this one. I I think the best argument is, you know, look at the middle of the Jimbo years where you had guys like Clint Trickett, uh, John Franklin, Jacob Coker, all transferred, just, Because of playing time, there was a guy in front of them. It just made sense for them. Um, Now, if you push it forward, you've got two other factors in play. Um, One is 2020 was a free year for everybody. It doesn't count. So basically, Tate and Chubba are freshmen all over again. Um, The transfer rule is going to go through in April, we think. Everybody's saying it's going to happen right around the NCAA tournament, Final Four time. Um, That will potentially open up the door for the freedom to truly transfer. I don't know if any of these guys really want to transfer. I, I just think it's, it's a question of how impatient are you and how ready do you think you are for playing time? But if you like Tallahassee, if you like this team, if you like the vision that the coaches have and you're willing to stick around and, and learn by watching and get some, some reps and playing time as potentially a number two, then I think you've got an opportunity to to really be in line to start in 2022. So it's definitely an interesting debate. And I don't mean to not take a a side on it, but I just think guys are going to have to evaluate where they stand after spring practice, what the coaches are telling them. And I would say the same thing for quarterbacks or any position, you just have to kind of
2: evaluate where you are and, and do you buy into the overall vision of the program. And to beat my dead horse, you know, I understand that they're going to pass that rule for our listeners that may not, be, you know, may not know what we're talking about. But normally when you transfer, you have to sit out a year and they're going to waive that for 2021 transfers and maybe permanently. We don't know. Um, that opens the door for other things that doesn't necessarily affect Florida State's quarterback room. It has a tremendous impact on college ball, but we'll uh, we'll dive into that when we get into to the doldrums of June and July and don't have anything else to talk about.
0: I do think the fact that Milton only has one year factors into that decision. It's not like they brought in, A, they didn't bring in a guy who we know is 100% healthy. Now, he may be 90%, but he hadn't played a game in a couple of years, or 95%, whatever the percentage is. But he's also not a sophomore that's going to, you know, everybody kind of expects him to be the starter. But if you're if you're Chuba or Tate, even if, and and they're going to be uber confident guys, they're quarterbacks. So in their mind, they're probably not conceding that and that's good, but even if they were, it's one year compared to he's going to be in my way for two or three years. I I would think that would make a difference in the thought process.
4: Yeah, I totally agree, and we've seen some situations where, you know, that's that's proven true. Um, You know, with the pandemic, like Miami got De'Aaron King for a second year. They they thought he was a one-year guy. Um, I think, you know, just generically, quarterbacks are going to have value in the transfer portal, especially if you have more than one year. If you have two or three years, your value is is just incredible. Um, I remember talking to Clint Trickett about this when he went to West Virginia. He said, wow, that, you know, that first year coming in after spring ball, it was hard to learn the offense. And even though he kind of knew that offense and had familiarity, and he was a coach's son, it was tough for him. And he said that second year, even though he battled injuries, concussions, and all that, it It was just so much smoother as far as being comfortable. I think college coaches moving forward, yes, they're going to look for those one-year kind of stopgap solutions, but the value isn't a transfer who is a two or potentially a three-year guy.
0: Shout out to Kenny Dillingham because when asked about this yesterday, he referenced, he goes, we had Brad Johnson talk to the team last year. Go back and take a look at the quarterback room when he was here. And the three of us have been around a while, so we could probably name that quarterback room. And I thought for a second that Dillingham was going to name it, and I was going to be really floored and impressed. But but he didn't. He just said, go back and look at who was in that room, which I think was cover for – I know there was a lot of good guys. I just don't remember exactly who it was. Love you, Coach. And you're not expected to know that from 1991 and 92, by the way. <laughs> or 91, I guess, was his last year. <laughs> Yeah, I'm
4: I'm just running the numbers. Like, how old was Kenny Dillingham at that point? Because he he couldn't yeah. have been too old when uh, when that was happening. But I think that is a a neat anecdote that you have you have Brad Johnson, who's maybe you know one of the the poster children of hey, be patient and ride it out. And now look on the flip side of it is ask Brad Johnson, and he will candidly tell you that he didn't love the back and forth play where where it was in Casey and in Brad and and this and that. But I think he will say that the competition daily in practice made guys, you know, markedly better. And and Brad was was great for it when he went to the NFL. He obviously had a, a extraordinary career and won a Super Bowl. So there are there are pluses and minuses to this whole debate about competition, and it always goes back to you can only play one. Um, I still say the interesting wrinkle is, is probably what you guys have talked about with Patrick in the past too is how do you use Jordan Travis? Can you use him as a receiver? As a running back, can you line up in the backfield alongside Mackenzie Milton? He just gives you so many wrinkles. And I don't think we're going to see very much of that this spring. But I honestly can't wait until until September when we kind of see, you know, okay, it's now time for game time. How do you use, you know, all the talents on your roster and kind of maximize what you've got?
2: And Travis this is going to be interesting because old school would tell you that if you're relying on him to line up in several different positions, that means you're just not really good on offense. But that's not the case with him. He is that good of a talent that you've got to find some ways to, A, get him in the ball game, and, B, get the ball in his hands. Uh, it's not a gimmick. It's a, it's a viable weapon, in my, in my opinion. Yeah, so, the
4: name of the game is having a game breaker. And I, I think, you know, what this team was lacking last year You didn't have a Dalvin Cook. You didn't have a Cam Akers. Tamorian Terry was at times um, intriguing and stretched the field, but then he was gone about mid-season. You need to have somebody who makes the defense think a lot about where is that guy lined up? What can that guy do? He can throw it, run it. He can catch it. I mean, defensive coordinators just would have to absolutely hate that because you have no film to look at from last season. You're totally going into it blind until you see what he does against Notre Dame. It, it's, it's truly going to be really, really interesting to kind of watch that wrinkle develop. Let,
0: let's go to the other side of the ball. Cause Amari Gaynor is one of the guys that, that met the media yesterday. And I think partially because of athleticism, partially because he's a legacy and his dad played at FSU partially because he's a hometown kid, everybody's waiting for him to, to break out and now he's going to play, you know, inside instead of outside what what do you think the the future is I guess what I'm saying is there's a feeling that he's still untapped potential I don't know if that's fair but what do you think the future holds for him
4: I I thought last year he and Asante Samuel were the two most consistent defensive players in my view and, and Asante did a great job against you know the the top receiver um Amari yeah I think we we've kind of seen that versatility You can argue, is he an outside guy, is an inside guy? Should you line him up uh, on the line of scrimmage in a a pass rush type of situation just to get a little bit more pressure on the quarterback? I mean, we all know Florida State absolutely has to, has to put more pressure on the quarterback. I, I can't confidently say Amari is an inside guy or an outside guy, but it would lead me to believe if he's added weight to get to 230, that kind of tells you they're looking at him potentially as a more of an inside type of linebacker. Um, You know, Keith, maybe you've got some thoughts on that one. It's just as far as what, what he may make sense long-term,
2: but I I just see versatility where he can do
4: a lot of things.
2: In his case, guys, his versatility is a negative because all through high school, he played different positions. He didn't fit into one place. And last year they moved him just a little bit. When you've got somebody at, at the elite level that hasn't taken quote-unquote, years worth of snaps at a position, they're always going to be a half a step behind. Now, can they overcome that? Absolutely. But his versatility is is part of the reason why they, they've not been able to find a real good permanent place for him. Uh, so this spring, you didn't have spring last time, this spring is going to be very important for him and others. Tom and I talked about that in the first segment to, you know, spare in a little bit, but then find a place and put him there and let him work through it
0: a good observation, Keith. It's almost the opposite of what we're saying with Jordan Travis, which is if he's not the quarterback, exploit the versatility. But here, let him find a home so he's comfortable there. I think I was just looking at the roster because I didn't know. So Brandon Moore, the the transfer uh, from UCF, he wears number 13 on defense. So the opportunities here with him and Travis is any special teams that involve number 13 that Brandon Moore is on, hey, a couple times over the course of the season, just put Jordan Travis out there, still number 13, and, and lo and behold, you've opened up some different plays. I'm, Keith, you're shaking your head, but it can happen. It can happen. There's no question. There's no question. <laughs> like you just realized that Gunner's a little bit different. Now He's he just made me miss as he's running with the ball, right? I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, Bob, what else are you working on at the Osceola right now? And then we'll ask you a hoops question on the way out.
4: Yeah, we're obviously looking forward to practice opening up. And, um, you know, with, with, with basketball coming up Thursday, we've got, uh, you know, a Tuck Talk podcast to, to preview the ACC tournament. I think um, it's going to be a really interesting, hopefully a long stay in Greensboro for the Seminoles. I think they need it as far as, you know, NCAA tournament seeding. Um, you know, gone are the days we're discussing is this team on the bubble or not. And now we're kind of debating where is this team from a seed line standpoint, so uh, still a lot to look forward to uh, in the next couple of days with basketball for sure.
0: Well, to your point, if you're a four or a five seed, it doesn't make a difference because you're in the same bracket. But if you could get back up to a three seed, it eliminates playing the, the winner of the 4-1 game around earlier, i.e. avoiding the one seed. You know, at one point, I don't know how the committee's doing this this year, but Florida State has gotten matched up with Gonzaga and been out West several years. And when they explained it, they they said when you looked at the ACC as good as Florida State was they still Duke Carolina Virginia they were they were like the fourth ACC team so Duke's getting the south and Carolina's getting the midwest or whatever it is well this year Florida State's second so there's not that excuse to send them out west and I know the committee has said that they're going to call the brackets the same thing but I wonder if they're going to seat them the same way and my point is there's really not reason for Florida State to be in the same bracket as Gonzaga, at least not the same reason as as what applied the last few years. Does that make sense?
4: Yeah, I think if anything, you want to avoid Gonzaga at all costs. And I I've always wondered, you know, how much does a selection committee truly weigh the ACC tournament and other postseason tournaments as far as seating? But I, I think I think they should. I really do think that they should because. If you're going to look at a team's body of work and how they finish a season, then, then that's really important. And in Florida State's case, how do you weigh their finish? You know, do you weigh their last two road losses, for example? Do you weigh how they've looked? Because their, their numbers, frankly, on the road this year have, have just not been good. I mean, their three-point shooting is in the 20s in their road losses, if you look at it. The, the rebounding margin has been significant. The turnovers have been high. I think Florida State has to put forth a performance away from Tallahassee that reinforces that that they are potentially worthy of that higher seed. And I, I agree with your point, 4-5. It may not make a huge difference. My only thought is, if you're a five, you don't want to draw that twelve that that is upstep minded and it almost happens every year like clockwork. That five twelve. So I might prefer to be a four just because I want that thirteen. That's that's a little that's lesser
0: it's got Cleveland state written all over it, doesn't it? Going back to that point. I mean, that's a five twelve, right No, I don't know. I don't, I don't know where their RPI is. I don't know anything about the horizon league. Right. Uh, all right, Bob, Bob, Ferranti, all Araceli. I know is
2: I know, all I know is Florida state's going to be happy not having to go to
0: California. Yes. <laughs>
2: Cause as you as you mentioned, they've been stuck out there far too
0: many times. Our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante, we'll take a break, come back and wrap up front row Knowles right after this.
1: Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith.
0: A few minutes until we finish up. Keith and Tom back with you. Thanks to Bob. Thanks you to uh, Sidar Calhoun. That facilitated by uh, the legendary Chuck Walsh. Florida State Basketball, SID. Thanks, Chuck, as always. Uh, Keith, as we bring it back to hoops, your thoughts on uh, whether it's Duke or Louisville, that game, you know, first half right now, who do you think it's going to be? How do you think Florida State fares?
2: Well, I'm with you. I I think I would prefer Duke, and and boy, how many years did it take us to get to the point where we'd say something like that, but for two reasons. Number one, uh, they will have been playing their third game in three days. Uh, and secondly, uh, forgive me, if I'm wrong. I don't have the schedule dead in front of me, but I don't believe Florida state has played Duke. And as you've mentioned, they've had success against Louisville. And while it's still the Louisville Cardinal, you know, subconsciously, maybe your, uh, intention and your focus will be a little better. If you're playing somebody you haven't played this year and somebody with Duke in front of the jerseys that you haven't beaten regularly, like you have Louisville. So well, I, you- I, I would prefer Duke personally.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's where I am, and I, I would say this, uh, even just as the team, without even trying, when you pick up the Greensboro paper, or you look at the news, or you hear somebody in a restaurant, the conversation is all going to be about, oh, Duke's making a run, they've won two in a row, so it will dial you back in. If it's Louisville, the locals aren't going to be having that conversation in Greensboro, so I agree, that's that's who I'd rather see on it. Um I don't think there's anything much we need that we haven't hit yet, Keith. I I might have texted you this week about it, you know, in light of the Notre Dame loss, which the team thing was the big deal. Um, Untalked about really is the fact that Leonard had just signed an incentive laden contract and he lost a lot of money by not winning the regular season and uh, by not winning ACC coach of the year, which he probably would have won. He missed it by two votes had they beaten Notre Dame. And oh, by the way, if there's a clause in there for a top four seed at the NCAA, not that that's what the motivation is for Coach Ham, and, and I would have never noticed had the contract details not come out last week, but that's the way the cookie crumbles. <laughs> uh,
2: I was thinking after you and I exchanged those texts, you know, uh, we don't need to get into the actual dollar amounts, but uh, if Leonard had or someone on his staff had known and been able to figure out, <laughs> is it illegal to bribe a
0: sports writer to vote for a coach of the year if you only needed two? Oh, speaking of the balloting, I I saw the usual grumbling, and I'm usually on this train, too, that Florida State didn't get a first-team All-ACC player. I think we just have to accept the fact, and you and I have voted over the years. I stopped doing it, frankly, because the way I ended up voting was what's being panned right now by Florida State fans. I saw Florida State play. I didn't see the other teams play. So it comes down, and I'm more for football than basketball, but it comes down to – okay, who should be the first-team all-conference tight end? And so what do you do? You look at the stats for every tight end in the league, and you say, this guy's got the most catches, yards, and touchdowns. Boom, he's it. What does that leave out? Well, the fact that the best blocker in the league is actually this tight end. And and this is the way, save for maybe the the very few media who cover the entire conference at the top, that's the way league balloting goes. And Florida State, the way it distributes its minutes, unless somebody in their 22 minutes is going to score 20 points a game, is not going to get the first-team first, first team All-ACC pick.
2: The Leonard Hamilton methodology is the biggest thing that prohibits Florida State players from getting individual accolades. And you just need to know that when you're being recruited, and certainly you need to accept and buy into that when you uh, come to Florida State, because you're you're not going to get – 35 minutes and if you're only playing 22 and you're averaging 13 points a ball game mathematically if you played the 35 you'd average 17 or 18 and you'd be getting everyone's attention
0: conversely the rest of the league may be upset that Florida State owns the six man of the year award since Leonard won't start some of his best players he just brings them off the bench every year so I mean we're just going to start calling that the Florida State or the Leonard Hamilton six man of the year award
2: um, there, there is also something to be said of for that because normally, normally your sixth man is kind of a journeyman type player, uh, kind of well-rounded, uh, can play maybe a couple of different places, uh, if you have foul trouble and that type of thing. But, uh, the sixth man for the last couple of three years for Leonard has been an NBA first round draft pick. <laughs> so that goes
0: against convention as well. That's what I'm saying. So, uh, and Scotty Barnes got it this year, as well as all kinds of accolades. Speaking of that, we'll finish on this. Scotty started the second half against Notre Dame when they went small. Now Raquan Evans was out there too. Do you think he will go with what's been the norm and have Raquan Evans start? Or might Scotty start tomorrow night's game?
2: I think he goes with the norm, but I think he goes to Scotty if things are slower and developing than he likes. Leonard's not a big experimenter, particularly in, in when you get into conference or, uh, excuse me, tournament play, but he also is not slow to pull the trigger if he needs to, if that makes sense. So, no, I think you go with uh, who
0: brought you there, but maybe you're a little quicker to go to Scotty if you have to. Does that make sense? It does, and that's kind of where I think it'll land, too. All right, hopefully next week we're talking about a great tournament run and improved seating and a favorable draw in the NCAA tournament. Uh, even if we're not, we'll still be talking about the NCAA tournament. Keith, enjoy the uh, the, the tourney action this week, and I'll catch up next week. We'll catch Thank up. Thank you, Dominic. You too. All right, folks, thanks for listening. As always, this is Front Row Knowles.